find our soul. We'll go from there. Truthfully, I, I really don't know what I'm going to preach on. That sounds kind of dangerous, but I have a reason for not drawing some definite conclusions. Praise God. Our Romans 14, verse 8. All right. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live thereof or die, we are the Lord's. Praise God. I want to speak on the subject. Now, it sounds a little contradictory, but I do have a title to this. I want to speak on the subject. Pentecost. Something to live by and something to die by. Praise God. And you may be seated. Praise God. Now, we really want to give ourselves to the Lord. I'll tell you, uh, we're, we're expecting something great to happen here in the house of the Lord. But we're, we're not so geared up for revival that we're not expecting it tonight. Now, this has not been a good week for me. In fact, this has been... Uh, one of my worst weeks, I got to tell you, and I've been in a lot of pain this week, and a lot of people have been calling and sending cards, and I've gotten a lot of serious cards and a lot of funny cards, and I just appreciate all the cards that you uh, have sent. Uh, Lenny Kathy Smith had a card for me and showed a cat and a dog and a chicken and a pig. And they all had rabbit ears on. And inside it says, everybody wants to be some bunny. (laughs) Uh, Happy Easter. That was just great. Recently, Rich and Donna Brown had a get well card. And on the front there was a dog. And the dog was sitting. And uh, there was a, looked like a master close by. Had a hold of the chain and inside... All it said was heal. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. And then to see these precious children up here singing. Aren't they aren't they precious? Really. The little boys and little girls get up here and it's so so amazing. The little girls get up here and they look at themselves. I noticed two or three of the little girls look at themselves and all of a sudden they start pulling on something underneath their dress, you know, straight <laughs> Straightening things up. <laughs> really, uh, I saw a couple of girls. I thought, now they're going to sing a special part. I did not hear them rehearse. And sure enough, the girls who were straightening up what was underneath were singing the special parts. <laughs> just I tell you, it's just really precious. It really is. It is so very precious. I'll tell you, we, we just have such a great fellowship and I, uh, I, I want, I do appreciate your prayers. I, I've, so many people talk to me so much about my health. And I'm feeling so, so guilty about that because I mean, I, I understand your concern and I, I want, well, it, it's just that there's so many good things in life to talk about. Now, I, I'm not discouraging you and I just feel kind of awkward sometimes talking about this, but I, I did go in this week and I was fitted for an APO brace. Some of you know what that is. Probably Brother Brown knows he's in the medical field and some of you that are involved, but uh, 
That simply means that they took a, put a cast on my leg where I have the bad ankle from my knee all the way down to my toes and straighten or put the angle at the angle that uh, they wanted uh, to make the brace and then they cut the cast off. They pour it full of plastic and then they make a, uh, a brace to fit my leg and then, of course, I have to have special prescription type shoes to, to wear. And it's either that or go in and have surgery and have my ankle pinned uh, together so that uh, it won't move. And that's a kind of a painful uh, recovery uh, period of that. So just to let all of you know what's happening. Uh, Jessica just had knee surgery, and she's in service tonight. Where's Jessica now? Okay. All right, Jessica. Good to have Jessica with us. <clears throat> she's another one of those neat persons. You know, the the kids in the in the school sent me a card and said you are a very neat K N E E T person. <laughs> I'll tell you. And then last weekend, I preached uh, something that I felt I really needed to preach about, and that was about the fear of the Lord. I don't think I've had ever. As many calls and comments, some uh, very, very positive and some unsure and some not so positive <laughs> uh, about my message. But uh, I, I really do, I really appreciate the attitude uh, of the people here at Calvary Gospel Church. This week in school, we've, you know, if we, when I preach things like this, please understand that I'm not preaching these things just to be preaching it because I, you know, I have not found anything else but to preach on. But I, I just have really felt, uh, you know, we go, yeah, let me let me put it this way. I feel, I feel that, uh, especially the house of God, that this is a place that, that where we, it's not that you respect the house as much as you respect the God of the house. <clears throat> I I preached the message several years ago, and I ended up teaching on it at camp. I talk, talked about the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is actually set up right now. It simply means that you can come before the judgment seat of Christ right now. Uh, Paul puts it this way in the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and so we are able right now, and this is what happens when we worship God, especially with, with deep contrition and humility, we come before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you went in any court of law, uh, when uh, the judge walks in, everybody stands. If you don't stand, you're held in contempt of court, and you're actually put in jail if you want, <laughs> or you get kicked out. And then, of course, it depends on the scene you make. And, 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 you know, sometimes people say, you mean for such a little thing as that? Well, it's just that <clears throat> they're willing to make as big a deal of as you are. That's that's the whole thing. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, it wouldn't be a big deal unless you made a big deal of it. Now, of course, I am not the one that's worshipped or honored here. It's God. And you, and you understand, so whenever I talk about... Uh, 
chewing gum in church, don't it there? Why? Because we're in the presence of God. And even though this is a time of fellowship, it's a, it's a very, very important and, and precious thing for us. Now, I'm just going to, I was not able to talk with the Sunday school teachers, but I, I thought I was, but I, I got the wrong teachers, so time ran out before service. But like one class this morning turned in an offering of three, $3.20. And with that offering was, uh, let's see, four gum wrappers. So, uh, you know what I did? I told Sister Thorpe, I called her in and said, take the $3.20 and put it back, and we're returning this to the classroom. Tell the teachers that we don't want their money. Uh, you see, an offering is, is uh, uh, you may say, did you hear from God about this? Well, offering is, is a form of worship. And I know that this is probably done in fun, but there's certain things that you can laugh about and have fun about and certain things you don't. And I think for the young people who did this, if we returned their money, we'd be doing them a favor. Now, you may disagree with that, but it just so happens I have the power to make the choice here. You know, We're just going to return it. We're going to say, okay, give it back to the kids. If they don't know what they gave, then we'll divide it equally next Sunday by all of them that are there. And hopefully... This will not reoccur. Now, <clears throat> there are certain things that you you laugh and cut up about and certain things that that, that, that you don't. And you have to understand that uh, uh, there are just some things that, that you, 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 make a, you, you make a big deal out because somebody else does. That's, you know, it's a, I hope that all of you understand what I'm talking about. You know, I made a big deal about the parking lot and about sacrificing a child in the parking lot. Maybe if we do that, then we'll get the, get the message. Well, I am only making a big deal out because, you know, I've been to a lot of public places lately. Sister Grant and I were at an auction, can you believe this, last summer, in which the auctioneer shut everything down and told all the parents, now I want you to go out in the lawn in various places and get your children and bring them back in here because you are a parent. The auctioneer said, you're a parent all the time. And that's where I stole that line, see. I stole it from an auctioneer, and he said, now, if in the event that you're not willing to do this, then your car drove here, it can drive away. That was a polite way of saying, leave. <laughs> Can't have all these kids all around, you know. Now, you know, you may say, oh, well, oh. I'm not trying to be, and, and trying to be judgmental. You know, sometimes pastors can become, uh, you know, you can, you can you can do overdo some things. You know, you, I've often used the statement, you know, if you're going to kill a little snowbird, you certainly don't need a, a cannon to do it. You know? And uh, <clears throat> that's just the way it is. It's like, uh, the one pastor, he went uh, up to the uh, door and knocked on the door. And he knocked and he knocked and he heard some somebody walking inside and such. And he thought, well, they just don't. They, He thought he saw the movement of the curtain. He thought, well, I will, uh, I'll fix them up. So he took out his calling card. And on the back, he, he wrote Revelation 3, 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open up, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. So he left it. A few days later, he got the same card back in the mail. And someone had, had written in there on the back of it, Genesis 3.10. But it was altered a little bit. The lady of the house, and this is what she said. She said, I heard thy voice when I was in the shower. But I was afraid and hid myself because I was naked. <laughs> so, you know, there's certain things you don't want to overdo, you know. <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, don't we love each other? Turn to the person next to you and say, I sure love you. <clears throat> Praise God. Rich, I love you. Praise God. <clears throat> oh, thank you, Lord. <clears throat> thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, the, see, the, here's, here's the whole thing. You know, we're headed for the greatest revival Calvary Gospel Church has ever had. And we are conditioning ourselves for a great move of the Holy Ghost. We want it. Amen. We want it. And and some of the things that I've asked the children to do, it's not because I think we have a rowdy group of kids. That's not it at all. In fact, you've heard me make this statement. I speak directly to our young people. I am so very proud, if you understand the context of the word, of our, of our young people. Uh, the way they handle themselves this year at, at all the games that they played in. We played some schools, really, in which uh, I was just embarrassed, the, the attitude of some of the young people. You know, you lose, and they get mad, and they won't shake hands. We win two games, and they forfeit the third game. They walk off. They won. Then we had, at our tournament, some girls playing, and they lost. I went out and tried to just shake their hands, and they didn't want to talk with me, you know. Just trying to be kind. Well, you know, our girls have lost. Our boys have lost. And uh, they just, well, I mean, it's a game, you know. Are we serious about winning? Yes, we do. But what if we don't? Then what? You know, our attitude has to be right. So someone said, well, winning's not everything. Well, that is true. We'd like to win more, but. Uh, we like to win them all. But win or lose, we want to have a good attitude. And if we'd have won more, I would have hoped that that our boys and girls would have not had a better than thou, more holy than thou attitude about it. So our our team won the tournament team spirit award, which I think is so very great. And it was basically... The Attitude Award. Right inside this classroom, there's a sign, a poster, that said Attitude. Now, what is it? Whose, whose classroom is this now? You know, I was going to quote it, and it slipped me. Sister Jeanette, what does that say? It says something about attitude is that little thing that makes a big difference. Something like that. Did I quote that wrong? Is that what it says? Now, Sister Jeanette didn't think that's what it said. That's what it says, Kira says, so, okay, all right. 
Well, we're not going to send anybody in there to look. But, but it, it really is that way. Now, what, what I, I titled this message, Pentecost, something to live by and something to die by. And the reason why that, you know, all this week I've been praying and, and searching the scripture and, and I went all the way through the topics, all the topics of the New Testament. Now, I didn't read the whole New Testament. But when I say topics, basically, uh, you know, my Bible is outlined. So I start with Matthew and I go all the way through Revelation and, you know, it's, it's outlined. So I go through all the, the outline. Basically, it's kind of hitting the high points and reading a lot of the scriptures. And, and wow, there's just so much in there about, you know, little things making a difference. You know? Uh, th- this is, <laughs> just throw this in, you know, that as, as pastor, you, you deal with a lot of different things, all the way from couples that are romancing to casting out devils. Sometimes it's all in the same conversation. But. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, re- really, it was a a girl and a boy that I was pastoring, and she liked this. You know, this boy liked her, and she seemed to like him. He was a great guy, and you know, it's just a, a crazy thing. Now, I, this this is just totally pastoral type stuff here, you know. But uh, so when I talked with her, I said, "Now he's really a great guy." She said, "Yes, but he's got all those big blackheads in his ears." <laughs> <clears throat> now, is this crazy? I mean, you know, you follow and say, so you guess what I did? I told him. <clears throat> guess what happened a year later? They got married. I'm serious with you. And if I told you who it was, <laughs> a lot of you'd know. <laughs> Not all of you, but but some of you would, you know. You wouldn't think something as small as a blackhead or maybe a bad breath or something would chew somebody off. But see, the whole problem is that that people get to thinking about until death do we part. (laughs) I'm in a bad breath. I mean, you smell like you're dead already. You know. (laughs) And that's something pretty simple, isn't it? But people consider all that. Now, you may say, what bearing does all that have on this? Well, just giving some of you a hint. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. Seriously. <clears throat> See that sometimes little things become monumental. It, it's, it's the buildup of things. When... The state of Washington, when the state of Washington passed the third-time loser law, in other words, after three felony offenses, if you're convicted of it, you go to prison for life without parole. 
the first man who went robbed a quick trip store. That I mean, it's a convenience store. I don't know if it's a quick trip. Guess how much money he, he got? 168 bucks. And his attorneys were saying, $168, and you're going to put this man in, in prison for life? Of course, the, the whole thing was, I mean, the law is the law. It's already in law now. So the, the court only had to prove him guilty. They, the, uh, the attorneys, the, the DA only had to prove him guilty. They didn't have to prove anything about the law. Follow what I'm saying? But you see, they made a big deal, and they got on the radio, and all around the states came, you know, the news that a man is being convicted for a prison sentence, a life prison sentence for $168. Of course, it was carefully brought out at his sentencing by the judge that it's not $168, that several cars were stolen before you were finally charged with a felony offense. And then one of those, the second time around, he had robbed a bank of $24,000. So see, it wasn't really $168. There's several stolen cars, a lot of uh, uh, misdemeanor violations and such, a $24,000 bank robbery, and then 168 The whole thing about it is probably when he got out and looked at $168, he probably wished that it had been ten times more. Just so happens that's all the money they had in the till at the time. <clears throat> so he, he, you know, he goes to prison for life, and according to the law, he will stay there until he dies. What the deal was that he just made a big deal out of something real small, but he was willing to do it. And, and basically, sometimes when you look at things that stack up in life, it, it's, it is that way. It's, it's a lot of little things that make a big difference over the period of time. And, and some people living for God, truthfully, it, it's, it's not any particular one thing that they fail to do. It's the accumulation of a whole lot of sloppiness that causes that. And did you know... When we reverse it, it's the same way. To be successful with God, it's never contingent upon one big thing you do. But it's those daily occurrences. It's like pray every day, read my Bible every day, be courteous and kind to people. See? See, if a person, let's say a person's temperamental, the only way that, that you can get out of that is to literally force yourself Force yourself out of all those mood swings, and you have to do that. But you've got to be smart enough to realize when you hit that low and you grouchy and all of this that that you got to force yourself to to, to, do, to do better, and, and and you just have to force yourself. And just every now and then, you know, I'll I'll be talking. I'll get back on this romance thing. Just somebody just mentioned something. They said, "Oh, but my, she's so temperamental." You don't know if she's going to shake your hand or knock your head off. You know that was said about somebody in this congregation? Can you believe that? You may say, who said that? I'm not going to tell you who said it about who. But this this will cause 
several scouting girls did I use the wrong adjective available I know available scouting girls <laughs> you know just think about that now please don't come to my office after church to say was that said about me Let's just assume it's said about all scouting available girls, okay? And the reason why is because, you know, it never hurts a person, really. Just doesn't, it doesn't really hurt you, does it, to, to look at yourself and to wonder if, you know, it, can I improve? Now, needless to say, there are so many things that I need to improve on that sometimes to stand up behind the pulpit and talk about things like this, you know, you, you can kind of put yourself on a guilt trip. I've done that many times. Nevertheless, I do feel that as a pastor, that, you know, there's just, just more to, to guiding and directing people than, than standing up and preaching Holy Ghost. Because you have to deal with all these things in life. Now, last Sunday I talked about they were first called Christians at Antioch, and I was making reference to another message I'm make, making reference I, I preach, so I'm making reference to last Sunday's reference that I made of the other message that I made reference of. Now, you're all confused. Basically, uh, in the Bible, they were called Christians because they acted like Christ. That means Christ-like. Now, today, Christianity is a very generic term. And, in fact, I... I I didn't put Christianity something to live by, something to stand by, because Christianity is, is such a generic term. And it's become generic because a lot of people accept their conversion. It's just a, a kind of a matter-of-fact thing that, that you don't have to do a whole lot to. You know, as long as you say that, you know, I'm, I was converted, that you'll be saved. Now, I was a little hesitant to use the word Pentecost because Pentecost has also become quite a generic term. Now, it was the Christian community that started calling a particular group of Christians Pentecost. That would happen around the turn of the century when people began to openly worship God and speak with other tongues according to Acts, the second chapter. The word Pentecost just means 50th. So, you know, separate and apart from what the word really means, it's just that people were saying that 50 days after the Passover, people received the Holy Ghost. That's called the Feast of Pentecost. And, and so the day of Pentecost, and people around the turn of the century who experienced what was experienced in Acts, the second chapter, uh, they were known as Pentecostals. So from that, several Pentecostal organizations developed. And I use the word developed because some that's exactly what happened. It wasn't just planned to be that way. They just kind of grew and developed, and fellowships were, were created. However, in recent years then, because of Pentecost, uh, 
becoming so generic and so many Pentecostals not adhering to the doctrine that they originally endorsed. From the Pentecostals then, there came a revival where people began to speak with tongues and they called it the charismatic movement. Now, the charismatic movement went over into denominal churches that had never experienced Pentecostal-type worship. So, <clears throat> to be more specific then, then we have the charismatic movement. But now, charismatic is a generic term. Because when you, when you look in, when you, when you look in the, uh, the directory in the paper and they talk about Pentecost, you don't really have the slightest idea of what they're talking about. And when they say charismatic, you don't either. I was preaching revival back uh, probably 20 years ago up in Superior, and we had some Catholic sisters that came uh, out. And one of them came right down and received the Holy Ghost that night. I mean, she just really received an experience. She was invited by uh, a lady in the church there that taught at the Catholic school. So it, it is amazing then how that people can... Do what we do, and yet at the same time go back on a daily basis and practice exactly what they've been doing. So I inquired before the revival was over how this sister was doing. This Catholic sister she said, "Well, I don't know, Brother Grant." Said it's a, it's a. She still. I mean, she's really locked in on the rosary, praying to saints and angels and and uh, the Virgin Mary. And she's really locked into that. So she says the rosary more than she's ever said it. It's what she said. She feels the need to go to confession more than she's ever gone. And the other day she said, you know, she's become kind of, what should I say, almost freaky. And the reason why is because of the indifference, the opposite views that are endorsed. The other day I was walking through the, the, the chapel and she had helped prepare communion for an upcoming mass or service. And when I walked by, she had just locked up the wafers in a little box and, and said, she stopped me and she says, do you feel Jesus here? And she said, I didn't know what to say. And I said, well, I, I think if we tuned in she said oh I feel Jesus would you like to see Jesus and I didn't know what you know said, well sure I'd like to see Jesus well she goes over there with a the key and opens that back up and she takes those wafers out and she says this is Jesus of course the Catholics believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation which simply means that once the wafer is dissolved it actually turns into the body the literal body of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and so she said, shh, we don't want to wake him. He's sleeping now. You know? And and then she put that back. Well, she came out to church, you know, and, and uh, she'd just been filled with the Holy Ghost. We start clapping our hands, and man, I'm telling you, habit and all. I mean, she's just, I mean, she's getting with it, clapping her hands and praising the Lord and testifying and praying at the altar and laying hands on people. And, well, 
The, the thing about it, I, I titled this Pentecost, something to live by, something to die by. But, but the whole thing about it is that to be able to change so quickly, to be something one time and something else some other time, is amazing. Some Pentecostals have figured that they can do that too, though. They may not turn into Catholic or whatever, but, <clears throat> but, but they can be just as indifferent about things. <laughs> Hello? Everybody still out there? So, when I talk about Pentecost, I, something to live by, I'm talking about true blue, born again, Jesus' name, Baptized, Holy Ghost-filled believers. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I was asked, what is the basic difference? I was asked at Viterbo College in La Crosse between your church, that's Pentecostal, and the Charismatic Church. What is the basic difference? Well, <clears throat> after attempting... And not being understood, it, it all boiled down to this. That, you see, we were baptizing in Jesus' name. We were, we were teaching repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost when it was not popular. I mean, when people thought we were the devil. Now it's kind of a religious fad, at least at the time. It's kind of fading a little bit, you know that? But at the time that I made the statement, but it's kind of a religious fad now, so we're very popular, see. But we haven't always been so popular. But if the fad ceases to be, because that we did not necessarily lock in on something that was trendish or faddish, but on a Bible experience... I'll guarantee you one thing, that if this ceases to be and blows away from the religious ranks, we will still be speaking in tongues. That this is not just a segment of our lifestyle. It's not a piece of the pie. It's the whole pie. It's something that we, we live by. Like the little child in Sunday school class when the teacher said, would you rather be Lazarus or the rich man? And the student thought about it for a while and said, well, I would rather be the rich man now and Lazarus when I die. <laughs> but you see, you, you just can't really be both. And the reason why that it is necessary for pastors. Now, it's different, see, from evangelists. Brother Hollis comes, we'll cease in our teaching program at Calvary Gospel Church, the Sunday night services will be dedicated mostly to getting people filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, but there has to be instruction, and there has to be teaching, which is shepherding people. That That is so necessary. And in shepherding people, you know, you teach people you, that, that, that you become everything that Jesus was or is. 
takes a lifetime of trying and, and you know, pushing and pulling and such. Squeezing yourself into the mold of, of the Lord. One thing the, the doctor told me I had to do, and he said, you know, you got to start wearing these support stockings. You know, I felt like some kind of a lady. You know? Tell me how hard to get on. Just, just squeeze your legs, you know. All I could think of was one of these. You ever seen these people make these balloons? And they squeeze them and all of a sudden just everything gets big. I told Sister Grant, if I'm up preaching, all of a sudden my head goes like this. I said, you stand up and tell him, pull his socks off. Pull his socks off. <laughs> so she's all braced to do that. <laughs> Get them all. <laughs> but we spend a lifetime. We spend a lifetime forcing ourselves, disciplining ourselves to be everything that Jesus Christ was and is. Now, we make a whole lot of mistakes, don't we? All of us do. But the important thing is are you trying? Do you really care? Because when you lose that want to and you develop that don't care attitude, this, this is when you will find that, that the, the favor of God will not rest upon you. The favor of God will rest upon any man who makes a mistake, who is unhappy about his mistake, who is willing to get up and try again and do better. But sometimes because people make mistake after mistake, they just give up and say, oh, it's, it's too hard. But, but you know, the thing about it is they'll, they'll go into some kind of profession in which they have to, you know, they have to go to these big mo classes. <laughs> I knew I'd get him. <laughs> but you see here at church, it's not big mo, it's big go. Gospel. It's the big go here. I knew I'd get him. I did. You know what? Rich, is, Rich Thomas is one of the greatest Christians that's ever lived on the face of this earth. Isn't that great? You know, and his dad came up to me last time I was here, and his dad stuck his chest way out like this. I mean, you could just, I mean, you could see him like this. He came up and he says, <clears throat> you know, he said, I got a, my hat's off to you, Pastor Grant. He said, you've done a great job on Rich Thomas. Richie. He called him Richie, I think. Rich, Rich. On Rich. Richard. Richard, that's what he said. On Richard. You've done a great job on Richard. Now, I could tell when he was saying it, because he had his chest way out, that the real subject wasn't my job as much as Richard. But he was so proud. Let me see your Bible. His dad just gave him this Bible. Isn't this nice? And on the inside, he did all this printing, hand printing, presented to my beloved son, Richard, the first day of March in the year of our Lord, 1996. Isn't that great? You know, when Rich... Rich showed me that. He told me, he said, Brother Grant, from 14 years old to 38. 
He said, I gave my dad and mom grief. I thought I did everything. They were so grieved. I said, but now you know, Rich, so you got your own little children. You see, you see the importance. And you feel for those kids. I mean, you love those kids. You feel for them. Let you know what your mom and dad went through, don't you? <laughs> you know, really. It, it really is something. But to see this man come up, you know. And, and you know, since I've been knowing Rich, oh, he has, he, I, I, I Rich has pulled some blunders. <clears throat> Remember that time after you were saved, you came in and told me about gambling? You can't believe what he told me. You know what? He came in and said, well, see, first thing after he came to the Lord, he talked to me about tithing. And he said, uh, Pastor, I, and he came over and he said, man, I owe the IRS $20,000 and, and, and my business is failing. And he went on and on and on about everything. And, you know, <clears throat> he almost got me to cry. You know, just, I mean, it was gloomy. So. He had gone in some of the Christian stewardship, so he had a little budget together and they were working on it, and I helped him on this and everything. Then he came in one day. Uh, he'd come over for prayer and such, and he'd always be laughing. One day he came in, and he wasn't so happy. He came in and said, I need to see you. And he went in the office. He sat there, and he wept a little bit and said, Brother Grant, I, I, I've really been, I, I, I'm sorry. I just, I said, what happened? He said, well, he said, you know, uh, you probably knows my tithing a little high. And I said, well, I was thanking the Lord that business was better. He said, well, he said, I'll tell you what, I've been going by, see, playing poker. We've been gambling. <laughs> Remember this, Rich? <laughs> he said, but nobody ever told me it was a sin. So he said, man, I just prayed and talked in tongues that I would win, see. Man, he said, i just been raking it in. <laughs> he said, I pulled it all in. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And he said, one old guy with a cigar in his mouth pulled that out. And he says, what's that all about? He said, well, I'm a born-again Christian. That man said, well, Christians don't gamble. And Rich said, they don't? <laughs> he says, oh, no. Everybody knows that. Rich said, well, I didn't know that. You know what he did? He got up and left that money and everything there and walked out. Came to the church. Said, Pastor, please forgive me. I, I didn't know. You see, he had found an experience to live by. It wasn't just something that was preached on Sunday and not practiced on Monday. But it was something that went all the way to the bone, to the joints, and to the marrow, and inside the heart that was converting this man, that was changing this man, that was making a new creature. He was being molded into the image and in the likeness of God. Let's lift our hands and praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Let your anointing 
Let your power fall upon us tonight. For we're needy people, oh Lord. We're in need of a move of the Holy Ghost in our hearts to shake us, Lord, to mold us, to make us, oh God. That's it. Clap your hands in great victory tonight as you feel the power of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. But you just can't be on both sides of the fence and expect the blessings of the Lord to rest upon you. When you see Rich stand up and preach like he did this morning, it wasn't just something that happened overnight, but it was perseverance on his part and discipline on his part. Just everything he could get a hold of to change his mind, to change him, to form him, to be what God wanted him to be. And you know what? I could go beyond this platform to many people that sit in the pews. The story is the same. It's duplicated over and over and over and over again. But, you know, some people, when, when Hebrews 10.38, the Bible says, The just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in them. Uh, some people, you know, Sunday religion is just a thing. And, and sometimes it's not even that. I, I, uh, I pastored a, a family. I don't think I've ever seen anybody pray like this man would pray when he was at church. The only problem is he didn't come very often. And when he was not at church, he, he, didn't made, he made no attempt to really live right. So I, I talked with this man. His first name was Butch and was not here in Madison, so I'll just go ahead and call him Butch. But I talked with Butch. Butch got married, married a lovely girl, and uh, things went bad in the marriage. And when things went bad in the marriage and she was going to leave him, guess what Butch did? Came to church. Yeah, sure enough. Guess who was the first one? At the, you know that? Have you ever had, you ever seen people have friends and they knew how to manipulate them and use them? I've had people come in and say, I don't know why I do this. I tell myself, and it, it's just total manipulation. They know how to use me. And when the chips are down, they care less for me. Some people that way with God. So all of a sudden things got real rosy in his marriage, and guess what? He didn't come to church. Well, I'd call him up and talk with him, and and then all of a sudden he got laid off his job. Guess who came to church? Butch. Guess who was the first one in the altar when I finished preaching? Butch. Guess who continued to come to the altar as long as he didn't have a job? Butch. Guess what Butch did? When Butch found a job, he didn't come to church anymore. Later on, his wife became pregnant. She was having a very hard time. Butch called me up and he was crying. He said, My wife has toxemia. We don't think the baby's going to live. We think it's going to die. 
Put her in the hospital. <clears throat> what do you think Butch did? You have any idea what Butch might have done? Came to church. Yeah. Now Christopher Kryaski raised his hand. He knew. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty easy to figure out, isn't it? Christopher, how old are you? Seven years old, and you can figure that out. Well, you know how long Butch came to church? As long as his wife was in the hospital. All of a sudden, things... I went to the hospital, I prayed. Now, I please understand, I was pulling for this family. I was working with this family. I really wanted... Well, guess what, guess what happened? God just came down and miraculously healed his wife. We can't understand. She went home. Do you know when Butch missed his next service? very next Sunday. Didn't see Butch. Call him up. Well, he said, the wife's home, you know. I guess she, she, you know, she needs my help. Well, he was just telling about how she was healed, you know. She didn't need him when he was in the hospital. He needed church, see. Well, <clears throat> she had a beautiful baby boy. The problem was that the baby had some lung problems. The baby was put in the ICU ward. You have any idea what Butch did? Back to church. Back to church. You see, the whole problem with this is that, that Pentecost was not something he lived by. He knew who to call. He knew that God had power. What do you think Butch's problem was? He just... He just used God when he needed God. I've seen people do this that, that have a problem with holiness standards and, and discipline. You know, I, I think often what what the, the Scripture says says about uh, about the pleasures of sin. Uh, let me just turn there. I'll read this to you. It's talking about Moses, by faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Did you know what? You are receiving something in the house of God tonight that you will not get compensated for on your job. No paycheck can do this. And you will receive joy and pleasures forevermore in the house of God that no night spot. But, but some people, they just can't get sold out. It's, it's, it, it, it's not something they would care to live by. It's just something they, they, they oh, you get in trouble. We know who to call. Please call me if you get in trouble. So I'm not saying that because I don't want you to call me. 
That's not it at all. But I'm trying to impress anyone here that might have a tendency, especially if you're new in God, of developing this type of a method or habit when it comes to living for God. Do you know I've even had people from other churches to call and say, do you folks believe in divine healing? Yes. And they give me prayer requests. Now, that's great, but the unfortunate part of some of these calls is this, that they tell me, well, in our church, we do not practice divine healing. In other words, what you're saying is that what you have is good enough to live by, but it's not good enough when the crisis really comes. It's not good enough to help you. I even had a Sunday school teacher from a, a nearby church, close to where our church was, that would occasionally come to our services. She got so free in the spirit that she would actually clap her hands and even dance in the spirit. And you know what she told me? She said, well, you know, the thing about it is I, I teach the teens in our church. And they try me all the way to my bone. And it takes a whole lot of God to keep their attention. And if I don't come over to this Pentecostal church where I can feel something in God, I can't control them. But she said, I can come over here, and I can speak in tongues, and I can sing the songs of Zion. And when I go back, there's a fresh anointing upon me, and it captures their attention. And she says, I hope it's okay, but I have to come at least once a month. She said, I can tell when it's running out. I am serious with you. I can tell you the lady's name. Can you believe that? It was good enough to get a tank full once a month to help her with the challenge of that day, but it wasn't good enough to live by on Wednesday night when they had their prayer meeting and Sunday morning when they had their Sunday school and Sunday night when they had their worship service. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But you know, the thing about it is, I Pentecost something to live by. I want to, get, you know, I'm affiliated with Bible believers, believers of like precious faith. The truth of the matter is, the greatest crises that would ever come my way, I can't think of anybody on this planet Earth I'd really want to call, except you people. Who would I call? Except my brothers and sisters and ministers of like precious faith. Why? Because I don't know of anybody on this planet earth that I have more confidence in. That I believe that their spiritual walk is superior to those who belong to the true body of Christ. That practice baptism in Jesus name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I have nobody. 
nobody else to go to but you. I believe in you. I believe in your walk with God. I believe in your prayers. I don't want to be anointed by anyone other than our true apostolic Bible-believing preachers. Now, some of you may say, oh, but pastor, are you saying, no, I'm just simply saying this. If there are other people of other denominations that recognize that we need to come to the hospital and pray for their saints, how much more should I recognize the true value of my brothers and sisters and their power and their walk with God? Give me somebody that toes the lines. Give me somebody that walks the mark. Give me somebody that's disciplined. Give me somebody that knows how to pray. Give me somebody that knows how to uh, control themselves. You know, I talked about discipline. You know, you know, if you become undisciplined, you know what happens? After a while, you don't come for prayer. After a while, you, you don't come to church on time. You know, recently... Sister Grant and I changing some responsibilities and such. We decided, I said, we decided, I decided she's been helping because of my, my uh, uh, knee and such, but my health problems. But, uh, you know, just trying to get everybody that's involved in the surface here on time. And, and please understand, you know, it's always a problem when you develop a habit of being sloppy. Isn't it? Let me ask you this. If you were in the world and you paid $25 for a ticket to go to a rock concert and you got in there, and, and let's say they didn't have the mic set up and the sound wasn't turned on and nobody's ready to sing, what would you think? What would you think? Say, so I believe I want a refund. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? This is the reason why everybody participates in the service. Should be here eagerly, on time, ready, eager. I mean, to, to pray, to seek God. Listen, we're going into revival, the greatest time that we'll have this year. Praise God. When I'm sick, I want you to pray for me. When I'm down, I want you to pray for me. When I need comfort, I want you to comfort me. When I need counsel, I trust your counsel. When I'm in trouble, I need your helping hand. You see, this is something I want to live by. Let's talk about Pentecost, something to die by. I was called to the hospital to pray for a lady. And please, I don't want anyone here to misinterpret what I'm saying. When I got in the hospital, this lady had brain surgery. I didn't know her. And when I went in, she started crying. Before I had a chance to lay hands on her, she lifted her hand. She'd just come out of the surgery, out of the recovery room. Her head was all bandaged up. I don't know the extent. I didn't know the extent of, of her surgery at the time. I just knew that it had something to do with her head because it was all bandaged up. I know it was brain surgery. You know, she had tubes all over the place and, and such, and tube in her mouth, and she was trying, I, I thought, to speak with tongues, but she was weeping and crying and such. And, and so I prayed with her for a while, and she clapped her hands, and I wonder what church she's from. So, so after a while, I asked her, well, she, you know, she had a hard time communicating. Somebody called me about this lady, so I found out that she didn't know I was a Pentecostal preacher. I found out also she never heard of Pentecost. 
later on visiting her in a hospital, I asked her about this. And she said, well, you know, when you get a bad report and you're near death's door, you kind of chuck everything out the window. It's just you and God then. She said, Pastor, it's a totally different story. She said, I had no idea who you were. I talked to her about the way we worship God and everything. You see, it was spontaneous. Because why? Because she forgot about her religious affiliation. She chucked everything out. She's at death's door now. Pentecost became a very, very pleasurable thing. And she was willing to die that way. The whole problem, though, and, and I don't know that you could cast a lot of stones her way. Maybe, like I said, she never heard. But what she lived with all of her life was not something she was going to die by. Did you know what? I prayed for several people in the hospital that never came to our church one time that when they died... This, they said, is my church. Why? When they got down to death's door, they began to think, is this what I want to die by? I told the story of a lady who was knocking doors in Houston, Texas when I was in Bible school. And uh, Brother Pugh was my uh, evangelism teacher. Called his personal evangelism, and you had to write uh, two or three themes. That's what he called them that week on the people that you you witnessed to. If you didn't do it, he failed you. He said, "You mean you're going to the ministry and you're not willing to do this?" A lot of students said, "Well, I got a job." He said, "It doesn't make any difference. You came here to preach. It's self-defeating. Come down here and don't don't do this." So you had to do that. Okay, if you didn't, you failed. So I was out knocking doors. Uh, Basically, because I didn't want to fail. I was tired, you know, but you knock on those doors. One lady opens the door. I told her, I said, I'm John Grant. I said, I attend the Denver Harbor United Pentecostal Church, which is right around the corner. And I said, I just wanted to come by on this great day and give you an invite to come to our services tomorrow. It was on Saturday. You know what she did? She said, I'm Methodist. I'm not Pentecostal. And if I were, I wouldn't come to your church. She started to close the door. I mean, just like this, the Lord spoke to me. I said, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it a minute. I said, you know, all my dad's folks are Methodist. I said, you may not know this, but the Pentecostal movement started in a Methodist seminary in Topeka, Kansas. At the turn of the century. She said, did? I said, well, sure. It was out of Methodism that the Pentecostals came. I said, don't you remember the old camp meetings when your grandmother or mother, your aunts and uncles used to go and they'd clap their hands and they'd sing and they'd dance in the spirit and sometimes they'd fall out and people thought they were they got too hot? Oh, this is true. There was a Methodist church down in our part of the country in which Years ago, they had boards all along the side, just kind of a bench. They call them cooling boards. They thought people were getting too hot. They were passing out. Come find out, they were just falling out under the power. 
I said, you remember that Laoma? And she said, yes, I do. She said, is that what your church is all about? I said, well, it's not about cooling boards. Because we think we've come to an understanding as to what's really happening. But we do believe in a life in which we can live in the Spirit. You know what she started? She just started crying. She said, my husband is in the back room and he's dying of cancer. She said, would you come back and pray for him? I was able to go back there and lay hands on this man. She said, we've been wanting a miracle. We've been waiting for a miracle. But she said, I'm sorry to say, but we thought it was just a hopeless cause. I visited that man, prayed for him. His wife came to church. I was at the end of my tenure there at TBC, so I'm not really for sure. I don't remember. At the time, I probably knew what had happened, but it really is amazing to me that when people just kind of scratch all their preconceived ideas and they enter into this big monumental crisis called death, and they just do what's natural, how Pentecostal, they will be. You know, <clears throat> I guess to summarize all this, I, I've been in so many homes where people were near death's door. I've been in a lot of hospitals. I've been in some of our preachers' homes. I've been in some of our hospitals where some of our old-time preachers were. I was up at camp when Sister Sister Mitchell, L.R. Mitchell, one of our ministers, when his wife was having a massive heart attack. I was in the room. She had fallen back, and I had caught her. I had a hold of her arm when I felt her pulse leave her body. I was praying for her. Brother Mitchell looked at his wife, and he said, Hun, I know you're very sick. Is there anything I can do? You know what she said? She said, she called him LR. She said, LR. She said, all of our life, we have lived what we thought we should live by. She said, now, it's time for me to meet God. And I'm willing to meet God with the life that I have lived. You know, the truth of the matter is you will anyway. But it's just a comforting thought. Within a few moments, she was dead. I'd like for you to stand at this time. Again, I want to say this. If I were... Drawing my last breath right now. If I were in the hospital with tubes connected, life support, I don't know of anything more comforting to me than what I hold very dear in my heart. 
Don't bring any extra books in. Don't send any preachers from here or yonder. Just bring me the Bible. Turn it to Acts 2.38. You precious people gather around me. You're what I need. This is what I need. And he's what I need. I've lived by it. Someday I will die by it. I feel that sure. I have carefully combed through the pages of the scripture. If there's anything else out there. The more I read it, the more I am comforted. The surer I am. That this new birth experience, my personal belief in the oneness of God, is the doctrine of God. Our praise singers will begin to pray. Again, I hope they're praying already, yes, but... They begin to sing, and as they sing, we will give you an opportunity to step out and come and seek the Lord. I want to leave the way. Why don't you come on right now? He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just oh, no more to give. I want to love. Come on. If you're a guest of ours, make your way down to the altar tonight. Why don't you come on and give your heart to the Lord?